I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news recently, but uh, there's an article that caught my attention. Uh, may not mean necessarily anything of any worldwide import, but uh, there are scientists who study the inner parts of the earth, and one of the things they came up with is uh, the scientists said they now believe that there is more water in the in the earth right now captured in these rocks that are like a sponge than all the water in the oceans on the top of the earth. So one of the things that happens uh, if you study your Bible and you read your Bible, sometimes every now and then you'll get a little nugget when you see the news and they're actually doing real science and not science falsely so-called. And it's amazing all the things that are in the old King James Bible that it took man thousands and thousands of years to find out, and the Bible clearly states it. The Bible tells you uh, that the circle of the earth, it wasn't flat. You know, I I know this is uh, probably not a big thing for you, but there are still people in America who believe the earth is flat. And if you go out so far off, you just come off the deep end. Well, I don't know what how big their map is, but I can tell you this. I have been as far east as Israel on board a ship, and we never fell off the end of the map. But nonetheless, is it's one of those things of if we just take our Bible and we look at it and we study it and we believe it, the last part being one of the hardest things, is there's a lot of people out there who have a Bible, but they don't believe it. If you don't believe it, it's no good to you. It can't help you. It can't give you strength. There's a whole different thing as a Bible believer when we come to this Bible that we can look at it in times of trouble, in times when there are promises in there. And that's one of the things I encourage all people. There are verses in there that you need to commit to memory because there's things that are going to come down your life that you're going to need those verses. You need to claim them. And sometimes, and understand, you're going to God with and you're telling God, you promised me this. It's not that he doesn't know his book. It is for you to go claim that promise because you're in a difficult position. You're in a weakened position. You need something to stand on. You need that firm rock. And that's what the Bible can be. And that's why it's important to study the Bible. That's why in 2 Timothy, it tells us to study. By the way, that word's taken out in all the new Bible versions. I can't imagine why. Because ultimately, here's the, I mean, here's the simple answer. Um, you either have a book or you have a man that is your ultimate authority. God help you if a man is your ultimate authority. Because it doesn't matter who you are, as a man, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be wrong. I mean, probably the first part of heaven is going to be a remedial lesson for all of us down here that got things wrong. You know, here's all the things you thought you knew in the Bible that were wrong. So we're going to have some little grandma that lives out at the Ozarks with a fourth grade education, and she's going to teach you the right way. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. God's got a sense of humor that way, right? Because here's the difference. That old grandma, you can say what you want. She believes the book. Praise God for grandmas that still believe the book. There's many a young man that the reason they got saved, I firmly believe it, is because grandma got down on her knees and was praying for that kid day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year. By the way, we're in Esther chapter 2. Uh, forgot to mention that earlier. Esther chapter 2. But I just wanted to, you know, there are things that can get you excited. There's some things when you see science line up with the Bible, you can go, well, of course. Yeah. Get excited about that. So in Esther chapter 2, we're in verse 18. 
And uh, last time we talked about the fact, the, the fact that um, the king had taken Esther as his wife. And we talked a lot about her and some things about her. And then we noticed in verse 18 says, Then the king made a great feast unto all his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release to the, provi- uh, to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure this is a pretty fancy shindig. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know about you about what kind of food they have there, but I'm pretty sure it was not sloppy joes only. And, you know, whatever the generic band, uh, brand of chips are that you can get down to the local uh, store. Um, the king is putting on a party because he wants to celebrate the fact that he now has a new wife. Can you, you ever thought about what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ gets a bride? I mean, if a king can get this excited and have a party and have do all of this stuff, imagine what it's like when God does it. Imagine how that's going to be when we're all cleaned up, dressed up in our right minds for the first time in our life, you know, and God's going to throw a party. And uh, over, turn over to, um, well, let me back up. So when we look at this, um, there's a holiday that matches this. Remember, we talked a little bit before about November or October, November, December, about how the the not predicate, but the pre part of the word is telling us it's eight, nine, and 10, right? If you remember that. So one of the things we're looking at, we're in the month December, the 12th month in our calendar, the 10th month in the Jewish calendar. Anybody know of a big holiday that happens in December? You know, they give out gifts like this verse is talking about. Yeah, there, there might be one around there. And if you don't like one particular one, hey, there's more than one now. I mean, you can do the Jewish one. You don't like that one. They have the uh, African one now that the uh, Kwanzaa. Thank you. The word just totally went. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but there are times I'm going down a path. I know the word and I'm thinking about it in the back of my mind. And then I get, I, I'm trying to finish something else and I come back and it's gone. Yeah. It was there, but it's not there anymore. Uh, it's one of those kind of things. So you, if you don't like one holiday, you can pick one of the other ones to celebrate. You know, God bless you. Um, think about the winter solstice. This is the day that's marked with the period of the shortest amount of daylight and the largest night of the year. That's the winter solstice. That's what December was supposed or Christmas is supposed to match up to. And the, the summer and winter solstices are all have always been pagan holidays. That's nothing new. As far back as we've got recorded history, there's pagan holidays that match up to them. Um, and if you really want to get studied and you want to do some hard work on it, go get uh, Hislop's, Alexander Hislop's book called The Two Babylons. And it will show you that there is nothing new under the sun. They will show you that most of things that you know about religion, most of the things you know about mythology, can all be taken back to Nimrod and his wife, Samarimus, and their child, Tammuz. And you can learn all about that. That's not the purpose. We're not going there in this lesson. But just as a thing, if you really want to learn some more and understand a little bit more about why is there mass on the Christmas, Christ mass on the winter solstice, it'll help you understand a lot of those things. Um, Turn over to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13.
Romans chapter 13, we're going to look in verse 11. And it says, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So Paul's talking here, and obviously Romans is one of the great doctrinal books to understand about Christianity, what it really is. Romans is one of the best books you can go to, that and Galatians. And in here it says, and that knowing the time, that is now high time to awake out of sleep. He's giving you an illustration that it's dark out. It's time that most people are asleep, and he's saying as a Christian, wake up. There's some things going on here. We can see a bigger picture of this. It says, let us walk honestly in comparison to all the other stuff that comes after that. And it says in rioting and drunkenness and chambering and all this other stuff, that's stuff that normally happens in the night. There's a lot of things that go on when the lights are out or when it's dark and it's usually not good. And God's saying, you know what you need to do? You need to wake up, pay attention to what's going on around you, put on the armor of light and do the right things and don't go following everybody else just because they are. You know, it's like the old saying when you were a kid. If your friend jumped off of a cliff, would you jump off too? And every kid, well, no, I shouldn't say that. Your kid may give a totally different answer. So you would hope the answer would be, well, no. I might wave at him or, you know, say, see ya, you know, whatever those kinds of things are. But on the other hand, as adults, a lot of times we do that. Why do we do the things we do? Now, understand, we have a lot of liberty in Christ. There are a lot of things that we can do. We can have church services on Saturday if we want to. It's no big deal. We can have a midweek service. You can have it on Tuesday. You can have it on Wednesday. It doesn't really matter. There's nothing clear in the Bible that says you have to meet on such and such day. But there is a reason why we meet on Sunday. It's the first day of the week. And there's a whole bunch of things when you study the first day of the week in the book of Acts and throughout Pauline epistles about all the things that God did on the first day of the week. The old week was passed away and the new week starts. There was the Old Testament law and then we have the change to grace and mercy through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Things are not exactly the same. And so that thing, praise God for that. Um, cause I don't know about you. It's like, I don't mind this much scruff, but after a while with the beard, it just gets really irritating. And, and then you can't really, you can't like, as a Jew in the Old Testament law, you can't like have a haircut like a normal person. You got to let your hair be kind of scraggly looking and, you know, just not for me. My wife's probably thinking, no, that probably would be just right for you. Cause then you'd have an excuse for, you know, waking up and your hair's all like whatever. And you're like, see, you just go out and walk outside now. You'd have a better excuse. Um, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Because that's what the world's doing. The, the world's got this whole thing about, hey, if you like it or it makes you feel good, then just go right ahead. That's ultimately the world we live in. And the unfortunate problem with that is the Bible clearly tells you there is pleasure in sin for a season. Then it comes due. See, there's all these people that start off with all these different things. It doesn't matter whether it's drugs, alcohols, shopping. I mean, fill out whatever the list is for you. It starts off and it's great, but it can consume you. It can take you over and it can get you off your, your eyes off the battle that we're in. 
Uh, turn over to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. To help you understand the party we're going to go to, I'm going to give you the opposite party. Revelation chapter 11, we're going to read in verse 8. And there's going to come a time when the world is going to celebrate the death of two men, two good, godly, holy, righteous men. And it says here in, uh, in verse 8, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That's what God thinks of Jerusalem right now. You know, the city of peace, he says, he calls it Sodom and Egypt. That's what he's calling it right now. Now, in the future, it will be the city of peace. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their bodies three three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to put in the graves. Can you imagine that? Being in a world where two good people die and leaving them out on the streets and not burying them or getting them off the street. I mean, it's one thing if you're driving down the road and there's a dead animal carcass, right? But we're talking to human beings. Then it goes on. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. Two men doing right, that's torment. Two men calling out what's right, that's torment. And so when those two men die, there's a worldwide party and they're given gifts. Verse 11. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear, uh, 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 I can't even read that because my put a line through it. What does your Bible say? Tell. There you go. Upon them, which saw them. Can you imagine what that's like? I don't know about you. This is the ultimate horror movie. We have also got to a place now where people are so dead emotionally, they have to go to a movie to have feelings. Just to be scared and all this other stuff. Because what? They want feelings and they're so dead inside, Christian or lost, they have to have those kinds of things in order to have some feelings. Imagine what it's going to be like when it's true. You throw this big old party for these two good people that died, three and a half days later, the entire world sees their bodies come back together and they stand back up alive. I mean, you're worried about a zombie apocalypse. Can you imagine these two people that they were so fearful of, they had so much hatred of, they thought they won, and then three and a half days later, boom, they're back. Now what? Ever thought about what that's going to be like for all these people who are so committed to the other side when three and a half days later, type of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to be back alive and they're going to be walking around and they're going to be talking. And you would think, I don't know about you, but you would think an honest average skeptic could go, whoa, wait a minute. If this is going on, then I better check what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and all this other stuff and get, I'm obviously on the wrong side. But that's not what's going to happen. But that's another story for another time. Uh, let's go down to, or um, let's go to Esther chapter 2, verse 19. Esther chapter 2, verse 19. Esther chapter 2, verse 19. 
And it says, and when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. This tells us a lot about the character of Esther. Tells us a lot about what's going on with these two individuals. The first thing is nobody knows that Esther's a Jew. So here's the second thing. This is, this is called logical reasoning. If they don't know she's a Jew, they obviously don't think he's a Jew at this point in time. So that means there's a whole bunch of people in there that don't understand as a whole corporately that the, there are Jews being involved in any of this. The second thing this teaches me is a lot about Esther's character, about how she presents herself to her adopted dad, Mordecai, in the fact that even after she's married, the commandment he given he had given her, she still follows. So I'll give you some good examples of that. For young ladies who grow up in the church and learn the right ways of doing things and you get married, sometimes, let's just face it, ladies make bad decisions. And you marry some bonehead. You marry some guy that's not saved. You marry some guy that whatever. Well, guess what? You keep doing the good things that you learned. And you do the best job you can. And there's stories about pastors have talked about that, having ladies that they knew that were good godly women that made a bad decision, married a lost, ungodly man, and still served them and did the best job they could as a wife the entire life of that gentleman. And the reason was they said their own testimony. Number one is this is as close to heaven as that person's going to get. Number two is hopefully through my testimony of living my life and not acting like aforesaid person, they'll get saved. Think of the character that she has. Because most people today in America, if you get married, it's like, look, if if anything happens, I'm out of here. I mean, the first thing, it's not, whenever the focus is not on me and it stays that way for any period of time, I'm out of here. That's essentially where we've gotten today as a society. And that's unfortunate. Because that's not the way God wants it. Now, God does want you to marry the perfect person for you, and I'm a big proponent of that. Um, I'm thankful that God did not let me marry all the people who I thought I wanted to marry. Not that it was a huge long list, mind you, but I'm just saying I, I am have been and continue to be very thankful for the wife that I have. God knows me. God knows the help meet that I need that's best for me. Because let's face it, the things that I think I want sometimes are completely wrong. We need God to step in and help us in those point in times so that we get the right person. Because sometimes we need iron sharpeneth iron. And that means the wife helping you be better, a better man. And, and I'm not talking about the fact that after you get married, she's going to clean out your closets and get you clothes that make you look better. That may be very well true. You know, it may be that she has to teach you some new lessons around the house of things that you didn't do that way. Like, you know, you got to put the toilet seat down. Or other things like, hey, if your mom taught you to do something this way, like here's how you fold your towels or make the bed, it does not matter how mom made it anymore. You need to learn the new way. We have a new program. <laughs> so, you know, which are those those are the kind of things though, but if you think about today, how much how willing are we to give and to learn and to adapt if we know the fact that we're with the person God wants us to be with? 
That should change us. We shouldn't be like the rest of the world. We should go, look, I know this is the person God wants me to be with. And yes, there's going to be struggles. And yes, there's going to be difficulties. But there should never be a doubt of who you're with. And the sad thing of the thing is sometimes it takes us losing something to really appreciate what we have. Sometimes it takes something drastic for us to appreciate what we have. And that's an unfortunate thing. I'm sure, I don't know about you, but my father-in-law passed away some time ago. And I can remember talking to him, you know, it was, we didn't even realize how quick he was going to go. It happened a lot faster than any of us ever even dreamed and imagined. We figured, you know, talking to the doctors, all that stuff, he's probably got a year left. And the last time that we talked to him, I was just talking to him. The whole family had been talking to him um, at his back. He was back at his house. And I was just asking him, you know, is there anything I can pray for you about or everything else? And he looked at me and he said, time. Time. You ever thought about how much you value time? You know, the Bible tells us to redeem the time for the days are evil. But you really thought about the fact of how much your focus has to change when you go, what is your wish? Time, more time. See, when I left there, I was like, sure, I'll pray, you know, I'll pray for you, everything else. And having no idea the very thing that he was asking for is the very thing he was not going to have. I didn't realize that he was gone in less than a week after that. And, and it was, it, and we understood, we knew, everybody knew he was going to die. We just, nobody had the expectations it was going to be that fast, or at least I didn't. You know, maybe it was just me because I'm a little slow sometimes. But sometimes we don't appreciate things for what they are. And, and honestly, that can be a lot of things. That can be the condition of our health right now. Why? Because it can always be worse. That can be our church family and our church that we go to. You know what? could be a lot worse. Uh, I don't know about you, but where I grew up in North Dakota, the closest Bible-believing Baptist church that I know of is in the capital of North Dakota, and that's like a four- or five-hour drive from where I lived. There are no Bible-believing churches around there. If you want a Catholic church or a Lutheran church, hey, you're good to go. Got them in all the major towns and villages. But do you want to go to a church that actually teaches you the Bible and wants you to grow and to learn some things? Good luck. You're not going to find it. It's just not there. You know, we don't live down south where if you, you know, decide you don't like our church, go across to the other side of the street. There's another Baptist church there. Don't like that one? Go to the other side of the street. There's another one there. That's what it feels like sometimes when you're down south. And sometimes we, we just don't appreciate the things that we have until they're gone or until things change. And how much better it would be if we could just appreciate those things. Um, continuing on in this, it says that um, she had not showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai, like as when she was brought up with him. That tells me when he laid down the laws, the dad, she obeyed. Praise God for that. I think one of the best things young ladies can do is have a good relationship with their dad, do what their dad tells them to do. Because as I'll just give you my two cents for whatever it's worth. If you're a young man and you're seeing a young girl and you go to her place and she does not listen to her dad, you better run as fast as you can. You go there and you find her and she's fighting and she's bickering with her parents all the time. You better run. 
Because if you think you're going to get married and then you're going to be the person in charge of that relationship, you're a fool. You are an absolute fool. Now, hey, I will say this. If God tells you to marry her, God can work all the rest of it out. You're just, you're just understand it's going to be a bumpy road. Because if she has no respect to her own dad to follow what she, or what he says, then she's not going to have any respect to what God says. And she's not going to have any respect for what you say. What we're seeing here in the character of Esther is she listened to her dad. And let's just face it. There are times dads are going to come down and they're going to say stuff without knowledge, maybe more than once. And Esther just goes ahead and goes, okay, I'll do it. Because let's face it, as dads, there are times you don't know. You come home. The kids have been talking to mom all day long. They've been getting in trouble, doing whatever. Mom does not want to talk to kids anymore. And they're like, go talk to your dad. And dad's like, mom says to talk to you about this. And you have no clue. It is like having the brightest spotlight illuminate you like you're at some huge grandiose uh, theater presentation. And it's like, you now have to give the answer. You don't even know what's going on. Odds are you're going to make the wrong choice. But the thing is, are the children going to listen? Because sometimes as dad, you have to say things. Let's just face it. You're not winning any votes. There are sometimes you got to say no. And what's the heart of the person when they listen to that? How are they going to take it? Do you understand that, you know, the hard thing for teenagers to understand is, guess what? Your parents have been around the block a few times. They know a little bit more than your peers do. And they're trying to help you not have as many bumps and bruises as they've had. I mean, that's kind of the ultimate goal as a parent. You want them to be successful. But as a kid, can you get the eyes off yourself long enough to understand that somebody's trying to actually really help you out? That's what Esther's doing here. She's in there. She could have told everybody else, but she's still listening to the commandments that Mordecai gave her. She's still following all the right rules and the right ways of doing things. Now, I will say this, fair disclosure. If your husband tells you to do something, it doesn't matter what dad says. You're married. Your husband's the leader. By the way, that also means if your mom says something, it doesn't matter. Your husband's the leader. And now he may not want to be the leader. That doesn't matter. That's the job he gets. God clearly tells him that's his job. You need to help him learn to do the job. See, that's the other side of the thing. It's very easy to complain about somebody who's doing a lousy job, but are you doing your part trying to help them? You know, remember the help meet part? Your, the help part you have may be more than 50-50. Cause if you think marriage is 50-50, I don't know how long you've been married. Uh, you're wrong. <laughs> if you think it's 75-25, you're wrong. Because that marriage may be 100% zero and you're the 100%. Do the part that God gave you to the best of your ability. The rewards will come later. So we see all this going on. And the next verse, it says, In those days, while Mordecai sat at the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of who of those which kept the door, were wroth and sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. I don't know about you, but this is a good example of most of the people today, except now we have social media, so it's even better, because you can anonymously attack somebody. You can anonymously do all these things. You can say all this stuff you would never say if you're standing right in front of them. 
We have Christians today that will get on a mobile device. They will say stuff that they would never say if the Lord Jesus Christ was right in front of them. Oh, wait, but he is. But they'll still say it. Isn't it interesting, the thing here, that here's two servants. They are the servant for the most powerful person on the earth. They are elevated and have privilege far beyond anything that their peers have because they're serving the king. And the king does something and they get ticked off and that's all it takes for them to want to kill him. No different today. I don't know if you noticed in the news, but they had that Russian general that decided to leave that little coup against Putin. And by the way, his plane somehow did not make it from point A to point B. This is not a surprise. If you're surprised by that, then you haven't been paying attention to the news. Most people who go up against Putin, even indirectly, end up dead. So here in this case, we have these two men and... I find it interesting that they sought to lay hand on the king of Hasphorus. Now, understand the king has these people who are the chamberlains. He obviously has bodyguard. You know, he's, he has to understand there are people that don't like him. That's why I had people that would t- taste all the food and drink the wine beforehand to make sure it wasn't poisoned back then. Um, and then the next thing is we see in this verse and Verse 22, and the thing was known unto Mordecai who told it under Esther the queen and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. Here's another thing. How good's your word? How good's your word? If somebody came and they certified it, because understand they've been married probably not very long. He doesn't know her that well, but how well does your word mean something if you say something? How, how, I mean, is somebody just going to take it to the bank? Well, so-and-so said this. I know they wouldn't lie. Have you ever thought about the people in your church family, the people you work with, the people in your own family? What's your track record with the things that you say? Are they going to trust you? Well, the counterpoint to that is now if you start trying to bring Jesus Christ to them, why should they trust you? Whatever is going on here, obviously Mordecai's character was very good. On top of that, she's giving a certified, think of it like a certified letter. It's assured, it's, it's made certain. Like, uh, and, uh, the king would obviously do an investigation based on this. Um, and they did the, the, the whole inquisition on this, we can see in verse 23, it says, and when the inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out, therefore they were both hanged on a tree and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. So some things that I notice about this is the first thing, just because somebody says doesn't mean it's the truth. Now, if you say it, it should mean the truth. Because if you're not telling the truth, why would they believe you about something as important about eternity if they can't trust you in what you say about something else? On top of that, the king, even though Mordecai has all the greatest um, character in the world, he's still making sure it's right. You know, it's like the old saying we had in the military, trust but verify. Trust but verify. 
you could show up and you could look exactly like the person they know. And as an example, so I was on board the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower for four years. You got to know a lot of people all over the ship that did all sorts of other duties. And when I came on board the ship, you'd have to do the whole thing, salute the flag. You salute whoever's the person um, that's in charge at the, um, we had a little, uh, like a telephone booth that they had because it used to be out in the weather and they would sit in there a lot of times. It was a little bit bigger than that, but not much. And you'd salute them and request permission to come aboard. And then they would check your ID and make sure your ID matched that you actually belong there and have a reason to come on there. Understand, some of these people, they see you do this multiple times a day. At the 12th time that day, they're still checking your badge. Why? That's the job. That's the job. Guess what? When people are telling you stuff, being trusted and verifying it is a good thing. I'll give you a better example of that. That's why we read the Bible here. That's why you should bring your Bible with you, and that's why you should read it to make sure that I don't mess up, which I will. If you, if you hear me long enough, it's probably going to happen more than once. It's a matter of what God says it's important. I would not willingly want to lead somebody astray, but by accident I could. It's important that you understand what the true word of God says, not necessarily what I say. And to be able to be certified, uh, an example of this, uh, if you want to think about it, is Mao Zedong, the communist dictator of China. Remember, he took over power. 45 million, and some say up to 90 million people were executed while he was in charge of the government. 45 to 90 million people. That's an oriental king for you when they're in charge. Think about how that must be. You could be doing everything right, in China, living your right, holy, righteous, doing everything right by the book. And the king says, I don't like you. Get rid of you. By the way, that's happened all over in the Orient. Cambodia, Laos, pick a place. Christians get oppressed. In fact, that might be coming for us if the Lord tarries a long time. It may cost you to be affiliated with this church. It may cost you to be affiliated with people in here. What's what? Are you, what choice are you going to make? What's more important, the world and the people in the world and how they think of you, or doing the right thing? But here in this case, we see that once the uh, Inquisition was completed on the matter, that they were both hanged on a tree. See, this isn't something we do anymore. We don't really believe in capital punishment anymore. Bible warns you about that. It says, hey, when people commit evil, you need to deal with it. You need to deal with it swiftly, and you need to follow the law. So now we've got so things so messed up that we are so concerned about somebody who has committed multiple murders on whether or not we're giving them somehow a nice, easy, convenient death. Ever thought about that? We got somebody that can rape somebody and take a knife and slice them to bits and pieces, and somehow we are so concerned about the fact that they might suffer a little bit of pain when they die. So now we won't we won't kill people. We'll just let them stay in prison forever. Or in the case now, you can commit a murder and you might be out in two years or four years. Have you ever thought the, what it must be like for the families to have something like this happen? And then you have somebody that breaks some 
state law or county law, zoning permit or whatever, and they'll try to lock them up for 10, 15 years. But you can be an evil menace to society and they're like, oh, well, you know, you just need to love and care on them a little bit more and then they wouldn't be this way. And God says, you know what? There's evil in the world and you can't deny it because it's still there. And sometimes the best thing you can do is to remove them from society. Why? It makes fear. See, one of the things that we've lost is we got people who are not afraid of anything anymore. They're not afraid of the police. They're not afraid of going to jail. They're not afraid of a death penalty. And so what? What If they're not afraid of anything, what's stopping them from doing anything they want? And unfortunately, that's where we're at uh, in society. Pol Pot, the communist or Cambodian dictator's government, forcibly relocated the urban population to the countryside to work on farms. Pursuing his campaign, money was abolished and all citizens were made to wear the same black clothing. Mass killings of perceived government opponents, coupled with malnutrition and poor medical care, killed between one and a half and two billion people between 1975 and 1979. That was approximately one quarter of the population of the nation. But you think, well, that was just back then. From 1994 to 1998, North Korea suffered an economic collapse and famine that resulted in the deaths of somewhere between 240,000 to 420,000 people after the fall of Russia because they weren't getting the money from Russia anymore. And those kinds of things are still going on today. The problem is they're not newsworthy. What's newsworthy is all sorts of other things. And by the way, if there's something bad going on, for the most part, they'll try to find a way to tell you. But they're not going to tell you what's going on in the USSR that much. They're not going to tell you what's going on in North Korea that much because that doesn't affect the agenda that they have. Um, Some would think that God would never use a murderous conspiracy to accomplish his purpose, but he does. Psalm 76.10 says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath shall thou restrain. The anger of these two chamberlains led them to try to knock him off. By the way, that's nothing new. Uh, there's coming a time soon, in Psalms chapter 2, it tells you that Jesus Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron. See, all these people that want... That, that love the concept of a Jesus, that love the concept of a God because he's a God of love, are not really going to love it when he's in charge. Because what? He is the ultimate lawgiver. You can't fool and put anything over him. Uh, by the way, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you cannot buy an attorney that's going to get you out of jail free or whatever else with his court. Because he knows what's going on in your head and that's what he's going to judge him by not just what they do. In fact, in Ezekiel, it gets even weird. It talks about this flying roll that'll just come into your house and burn everything to the ground. Imagine how that's going to change things. And yet, at the end of that millennium, when the devil comes back up and has the ability to tempt, millions of people will follow him because they would rather have the devil and his lies than live in a peaceful kingdom where justice is done 100% correctly. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Kiss the Son. 
Can you imagine what that's going to be like? It's saying, look, you go up to him and you're going to give him respect as shine and You're going to kiss his feet and do whatever else it takes lest he be angry. Because there's nobody that's going to restrain him if he gets angry. See, that's the other part of God's character that a lot of times, you know, we're not as big of a deal on. We're not quite as excited about it. We love the God is love part, but that whole other side of his character when we're talking about God is holy. God is righteous. God is a judge. See, we don't, we don't like that part. See, we just like the love, 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 love part. You know, God loves me. Yes, he does. That doesn't mean he approves of what you're doing. God loves me. That doesn't mean he wants you doing what you're doing. So let's finish up here. We just finished uh, verse 23 and just one other thing. Uh, I want you to go over to Galatians chapter 3 because I want to show you another prophetical piece on this from the book of uh, Esther. As I talked about before about how much uh, prophetical things there are in a book that doesn't mention God's name or the Lord's name anywhere in it. So we're going to look in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Jesus Christ was cursed because of you and me. He had to take the penalty for all the sins that we're going to commit, all the ones we did in the past, all the ones we're going to do in the future, because God knows that whole sum. All of that for the entire world was put on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, some other things I want you to remember about this is when they wrote that account down, it was done in front of the king. The king made sure they wrote down the exact truth in the historical documents of what really happened. Not man in the background rewriting things. The king saying, oh no, we're writing this down. But you know the thing that happened there? Mordecai didn't get anything. No praise, no honor, no thank you, no nothing. You know what? It didn't change Mordecai one bit. He just kept doing the same thing. He wasn't looking for the praise of men. He was looking to do the right thing. And that was reward enough. But see, we've got to a point right now where that's not enough anymore. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, it talks about do thy alms in secret. It's a good thing to do some things in secret where you don't get the reward for. Why? So God can reward you later. You know, my mom tried to teach me this as a kid. You know, uh, you know, your mileage varied on how well that lesson went over, um, like many lessons. But she tried. It's a good thing to do some things and never get rewarded a man, never get told thank you. Why? Because that allows God to thank you for it when you're doing the right thing. That's an important thing to have that be available. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing. But in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. The harvest is coming. It's just not right now. And that's a hard thing sometimes because this entire society we live in is now, 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 me, 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 immediate, you know. Uh, I mean, let's face it, even Amazon now, I can get stuff the next day. I mean, gee, I don't want to drive to town. I can get it from Amazon tomorrow. Sometimes it's hard just to be thankful for what you already have. And when you read through the Bible over and over and over again, you still see the same thing. Man's never satisfied. They're never content, never happy. It's always more, more, more. 
And God tells us very clearly, with food and raiment, therewith be content. So I want, I want to see everybody's hands here. Did anybody have coffee, non-water, and or a food substance this morning? Okay, if you did, raise your hand. See, okay. You all have clothes on. I'll certify that right now. So that means God has right now, regardless of anything else going in your life, you have everything you need to be content. But yet, are we? Well, I, you know, I got up late and I didn't have time to go to Starbucks to get my, you know, triple shot, bente, and fill in all the other blanks with oat milk and whatever else you want in your drink. By the way, oat milk's not that bad. It's, I have to say I've tried it, so. Um, but it still comes back to the thing is contentment. Contentment. Those two men were in a very high position. What was the real problem? They weren't content. They weren't content. So let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we just uh, thank you, Lord, for the time that we have to open up your book and look at some of the things in Esther. I thank you, Lord, that you put in so many types of things going on in the future here in this small book in the Old Testament, Lord, that doesn't even mention you. And it's amazing, Lord, to look at a book that when you see things like this and you start peeling back the layers of the onion, just even the few that I can see, Lord, it's so amazing to know that you wrote this book and not a man because we wouldn't be able to do it. I thank you, Lord, that you promised to give us a pure word, Lord, so we wouldn't have to worry about what the truth is. Because, Lord, sometimes the biggest problem is just doing what you've already told us to do, not looking for the things we don't understand. So we pray, Lord, that you be with the church family here. We pray for each person that came here today, each person that's watching the webcast, Lord, that you would bless them and strengthen them for the personal fight they're in. Pray that you be with the services to come, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to give him all the praise, glory, and honor in Jesus Christ's name through his blood. Amen.